Good evening, patriots. And tonight is Thursday, or the end of Thursday, August 3rd in the year 2023. You know, last hour, intense, um, intense message. I kind of turned that one over to the Holy Spirit. And it's a pretty intense message in that we need to really be focusing on breaking down these artificial barriers and divisions that have put before us. And I, I really get the sense, and I'm just going to kind of open this up tonight the way the Holy Spirit leads, just to give you a heads up. Because I know we've been doing the Constitution, and I, I'm going to kind of see how that plays in. I think that's important, no doubt. But I also want to be real clear that one of the key things that is just coming again and again is the urgency for us to put down our differences and come together in the body of Christ. And that means kind of two things, which takes us right back to our origins of our country, which is those that were true followers of Christ and those that accepted God but didn't necessarily live their life truly in the, in the walk with Christ. But the two got along well, and we're going to talk a little bit about that as we dig into this tonight. One thing right now, super important, is air quality and we all need to worry about air quality. And to be honest with you, it wasn't something that was on my radar until I ended up getting one of these fantastic EnviroCleanse units, EK Pure, and that's ekpure.com. Now, these are a unit that's 100% American-made. They use a hospital-grade HEPA filter with a mineral filter system. And they're able to purify the air with viruses, allergens, chemicals, even odors. And it's a really interesting experience because these things end up creating a completely different atmosphere. Say these, these machines, these devices create a different atmosphere in your room once they get going. It is truly refreshed and clean air, which you're breathing, which we, don't, we actually don't breathe very clean air, especially thanks to all the garbage they keep pumping into our world. So if you head on over to ekpure.com, ekpure.com, and use your promo code BARDS, you're going to get 10% off on one of these units. You're going to get a free professional air quality monitor, which is all about $150 savings. It's just, it's a fantastic product. And again, it's built like you would expect American quality. Not a lot of gadgets and goofiness. It's solid. It's straightforward. It works. And it's attractive. And it runs quietly in the background. So check it out. I think you'll be very impressed. I am. And I'll have to look at getting another one. But ekpure.com, ekpure.com, promo code BARDS, 10% off and a free air quality monitor, like I said, about $150 savings. Really, really super. Well, we've been over the Declaration of Independence, and I think that's a document that I encourage you to go over extensively. I, I really do. I think you will be more than rewarded for doing that and use it as a regular read. Last night to kind of go for what we went, we read through um, Article 1 all the way down to Section 2. And I'm trying to remember if we went through Article 2. I don't think we did. I think we ended at Article 1, which is Section 10, Article 1. Now, it's interesting that what I'm getting at here is we, we've ended up with this strange perception of our founding fathers. And that perception is that somehow... and let me just highlight this. This is not accident by accident that we've ended up with this perception that somehow our founding fathers were not men of Christ. 
And we've tried to take the Constitution, the deep state, those in charge of the messaging, which ultimately puts us at this place of the manipulated fools that try to distort our history, the manipulators, I should say, that keep trying to distort our history and make us not understand where we're coming from. Our country was constructed as a Christian country. And it's, we say this, you immediately have people push back. It's like Judeo-Christian or no, it was something before that. You even have people right now talking about how the Moors were the true settlers of this nation. Look, I don't know what went on accurately. We don't really have a history of what went on before the pilgrims came and what was going on on this continent. There's a lot of evidence that there was something much more going on on this continent. But the fact is that when this nation was set up, our founding fathers saw this as a new Jerusalem. One of the reasons that I push back hard on this principle of people worshiping Israel so much, and I and I have had so much pushback over the time, and as you probably know me, it, like okay, you know, so you're not like it, you know, big deal. That's I mean that that's not what I'm talking about here. And so while there is biblical reference to things, it's important, and we we actually honor that which is in the Bible, the country of Israel is a modern aberration. At the time that our country was established, there was no Israel. And that is a reality we have to understand very clearly as our founding fathers were coming to build the what we also call the framers, are building the foundation of this nation. Super critical. The modern Israel doesn't come in place until like 1946, 1947, post-World War II. The entire land is purchased and acquired by the Rothschilds. And then from there, it's like we're in perpetual war with everybody in the Middle East, which, you know, what can I say? And on top of it, we we see this constant manipulation, which somehow, which they, is just is part of this constant charade that we're supposed to be at war with Islam. We're supposed to be at war with those of the Middle East. And that is an extension of this political relationship with Israel which is constantly forcing us into conflict. That area there was, again, purchased by the Rothschilds, and the boundaries of Israel were established by the Rothschilds. And in the time when, this, when the massacre of the, the Nazi regime came public, they used the emotional leverage for the world to agree. And the real question we have to get down to, which we're not going to dig into in this into this show tonight, but I, I'm just leaving this out here for you have to separate out the Kazarian Jews from the Israelites. And you have to be very clear on that and understand that when you've created a class of people, I don't care who it is, but we do not live with a God that is a hierarchical God. When I mean that, he doesn't look at his children. And this is what we've been what churches end up doing, we look at them and go, oh, they're Jews. They're the special class with God, and we're the lesser. That idea comes out of the Talmud, and the Talmud has its origins in Babylon. Understand that. And that puts its origins into the Satanic and Luciferian game. And they have managed so strategically in 20th and 21st century Christianity to force that idea upon the public and push it through the pulpit that people literally 
see Israel as this blessed and super blessed place that the rest of us are always going to be submissive to and, and lesser than. That is not the way God works. I'm sorry, not going to buy it, never will. Because as we all step into that anointing with Jesus, we become part of the body of Christ. And so it should strike everybody as odd that if this place that they are so obsessed with worshiping, that there's such an anti-Jesus place there. Just saying. And just saying. So leave that for you to sort out. Maybe we'll dig into it more in a later show. But I, that is something that we have to start getting real with because this is part of the great distortion. And I believe that part of the great play and distortion coming is probably going to be where they reveal that Israel leadership is a bunch of Satanists, and they'll connect that to the scriptures and fracture the weak Christians and then present an idea of one world religion to bring everybody under one hub and give away their true relationship with God. That's what I think. So I think we're getting set up pretty bad is my point. Unless you're walking with Jesus, in which case the place of the remnant becomes ever more important every single day. So again, I, I know that that may run a, a, against the grain for some of you, and I'm okay with that. But if you, if you feel that this isn't right, I'm asking you to do your own research and ask the hard questions. This is the point where we're at right now, is we have to ask the hard questions. And like one of these things that we have to ask is, you know, where what's the actual framing of our Constitution? Were our founding fathers evil Masons? The answer is no, they weren't. They were Christians. Most of them were, were, were diehard worshipers of Jesus. And they always point out the few. Thomas Paine is one. Like he didn't believe in churches. Heck, no, he didn't believe. He didn't believe in religion because he saw religion as an organized piece of causing wars and slaughter of people as, a, as an element of political action. He was a deep believer, though. So we see we have to sort these things out to get clear and understand that our, our framers of this nation truly had an intent of building the new Jerusalem. They thought this was the new Jerusalem here. That was their understanding. And I'm sure there's a lot of knowledge that was never passed on or has been strategically erased, let's put it that way. I think they were discovering things as they were here that were eye-opening. You know, I don't know if you know this, but part of the Lewis and Clark expedition, which happened in obviously in the 1800s, is still classified. Now ask yourself that. Why would that possibly be? And what exactly was Lewis and Clark looking for? We always say, well, they were trying to find the route to the ocean. Yeah, but if you understand what was going on there, the Hudson Bay Company was already here, was already in the West Coast, and was farmers were already selling their goods to trade with the Hudson Bay Company, and they were moving them across the continent. That British outfit already knew what was going on over here. So what exactly did Lewis and Clark do? What was their true mission? Finding the route to the sea is a great story. Everybody loves it. But there's a lot of things that don't add up because they definitely weren't the first Europeans to go there. In fact, not the first by a long shot because the French trappers that were working with the Native Americans that were based out of Quebec, 
And that war, and also in the South, which was another whole part of the war between France and England, those groups were already way out here in the West. So again, we have to ask hard questions. And there's a lot of things we can't explain. But the hard questions is what leads us to the deeper truths. There's no question that our founding fathers saw this land as the new Jerusalem. And that's hard to reconcile when people look at this and go, yeah, but Israel. Israel, like we know it, did not exist. There was no concept of Israel like we have it today. There was the biblical idea of what Israelites, where they had been. But there was no new Israel at that time. And it's so important to understand. And when you understand, I think when we grasp the fact that our founding fathers saw this as the new Jerusalem, now we begin to understand a little bit more of why we have been the zero target for everything evil in this world and why they needed to take us over. Because this country was to be constructed, truly, and is by virtue of our documents, a country that was blessed under God, accountable to him as a Christian morality structure, moral law structure under God, but it was welcoming to all religions to come and practice here, other than Satanists and these lunatics like that. But I'm saying it was, that was the idea, that there was a Christian structure, moral law by God, that also opened up for other faiths to come and be here. That is so Christian, it's unbelievable. And it's important because where we've come to right now, thanks to a lot of very good psyop and aggressive, aggressive psyop, we have come to a place where coexistence with other faiths as Christians is seen as not compatible. And I argue that that is one of the greatest destructions that has happened in, I say one of, not the, but one of the greatest destructions that's happened because instead of Christians coexisting and working over time to bring people to Jesus from where they are, we've created this idea that it's all or nothing. And there's no more coexistence, which is perfect for a divide and conquer strategy. Let's take a listen to this short piece here. And it, it's a piece from 20, 2019. I think, I think you'll find it very interesting. Wake up, Americans. You're about to be pulled into a war with Arabs, with the Muslim world. And you're going to be made to believe that something horrible that happened to you was done by the Muslims. But it wasn't done by the Muslims. It was done by a wild card, the Israeli Mossad, that's cunning and ruthless and can carry out attacks on Americans and make it look like Arabs did it. That's the literal definition of a false flag. They didn't write that. That's a false flag. That's not my conspiracy theory. That's a U.S. Army report. The day before, published the day before 9-11. Yes. You can call me any name you want to call me. That's a U.S. Army report. They warned us. They were telling us what Israel is capable of doing. You see see how that worked? I mean, it's so dark. They've literally got us to hate an entire race of people. And And the reason this drives me nuts is, and it doesn't work. I don't know how we rationalize this. And I'm not going to tell you I wasn't victim of it, okay? I'm going to be honest. But how do we get to a point as Christians where 
Jesus says to love thy neighbor. And we end up rationalizing hatred, literally hatred, for a group of people. And they keep doing it. These people that they're pushing in to Europe right now, and we keep looking at them going, oh, those dirty Muslims. Look, they are a specific, I, I think ultimately most of these people are conditioned to do exactly what they're doing. Okay, I don't think they're any, they're essentially one way or another paid to be as radical as they are so that it makes all Islam looks bad. I am not, and man, I'll tell you, when every time I do this, someone's going to freak out and go, you're apologizing for Islam. No, I'm not. It's not my religion. They need to find Christ. All that. Got it. And what people don't understand is Islam, and I, I don't know the exact numbers. I, I want to say this. I think it's like 1.2 billion people on the face of the earth are, are Muslim. There's about 200 million that are radical Islam. And there's about 800 million that are moderate or just not violent at all. And then there's a, another sect in between that's on the, on the edge, okay? And I got those numbers when I worked with special operations. That's kind of the numbers we worked with. The biggest thing that we did in operations in Afghanistan towards religion was to simply get people to participate in the Hajj, which was their migration to Saudi Arabia. It's a completely different way of looking at the world. Don't, it doesn't, I don't like it. It's not, it's not God. It's, it's their thing. Because they basically, the Hajj, to get to the Hajj, you're basically saying you're buying your way to heaven. Very Pharisees-ish. Okay. However, to do that, you find people evolve to being much more accepting of others. Okay. But we have the same problem. And we've created this environment now where literally, and here's an example. There was a guy that I worked with who had been former agency that had gone private contractor that built a pretty significant company out of South Florida. And I should say it this way. I worked with some of his guys. I didn't work with him. They were raising money through churches to build militias to go to Kenya to kill Muslims. Now, I'm just saying, you can believe whatever you want, but I don't see where that says to do so in the Bible to go kill somebody of another faith. And this is where I have a real problem because this is where religion, and that is religion, is being weaponized to promote an agenda, which is a divide and conquer agenda, which keeps people away from each other and it prevents us from having a dialogue that we need to have. Now, I've told you myself, and I'm speaking firsthand, and I've done a lot of this, so I think I have a little bit of creds to put my word down here. Two major things here that are important. Number one is when I have done my engagements throughout Afghanistan, some of the best conversations about faith happened with people of Muslim faith and even people that were Taliban. We didn't have to agree on everything, but we had respectful conversations. Okay? That's engagement, and that's meeting people where they are. Okay? And I also know that we have, there's this penchant here to always want to convert people. Now, 
the amazing thing about when people learn about Jesus and really learn the power of Jesus and they experience it, they want to be part of Jesus. That's, that's a given. It's like, why would I not want to have that? But the other part of this is that there's enough influence in the radical Islamic segments within these cultures and highlight this. We have done such massive damage in these cultures, waging literally a religious war under the guise of terrorism against these cultures that we have left deep scars and massive levels of distrust, which in the void, you're going to see a counterswing. It always happens. When you start to do something like this and you, you start assaulting people, there's a retaliatory mentality that comes out, which is where radical Islam found its breeding ground. We created that problem. And let me tell you something. This is honest truth. I was working in, in, in the south of Afghanistan in a special forces base known as Camp Brown. And I was down there with a guy that was from Tampa, which is where Special Operations Headquarters is. And he was a, a microeconomist, great guy. And I was, he and I had put together these, we were doing these cultural problems of trying to understand how to better connect with and mitigate violence. That was our whole mission down there. And I will never forget the night that working with my interpreter, we were going through all of these pieces and we had a, about 20 feet long of whiteboard and we were drawing out all these different connections and mapping out the progression of the war. And we hit a point where we literally stood back and both of us were dead silent, all three of us for that matter, because of what we had suddenly realized. And it was this. And on top of it, what I'm going to tell you is we weren't even able to brief this. That means present it to the senior leadership because of what I'm about ready to tell you. The fact is that what we came to the correct conclusion of is that by nature of our fight in Afghanistan, of fighting one year at a time, which essentially was one war every year, meaning every time somebody cycled through, they started stuff over. And by not learning the cultural nuances of Southern Afghanistan, or for Afghanistan as a whole, for that matter, being culturally ignorant, and equally trying to force impose our values on a culture, not only did we increase violence, we created the entire damn war once we, from the point of post 9-11, meaning about which would be post-Anaconda, which is actually January of 2002. From that point forward, we essentially created ourselves the entire war in Afghanistan because it would be no different than here if somebody came and to remove, say, the deep state and then decided that they were going to change all of us to a communist Chinese system and force it upon them and become a pagan, godless society. I mean, that's effectively what we had done. So when I say all this, we're in a very interesting place as we try to understand our country, our republic, our constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, these very fundamental documents. And we still are the bastion of hope for so much of the world, which everybody should think about. But instead of respecting the fact that people, some, I'm not talking about the open border where we've got cartels and fighting age males running across and losing 83,000 children, thanks to a 
Washington operation, be clear about this, that's trafficking these kids for sale, for torture, for rape, and for murder all over the world. So be clear, we are our government is highly complicit in this. But as we, the people, when we look at the border crossing of anybody coming in, we're so anti-anything right now, all we can think about is we're getting replaced. We're getting replaced. And the strategy is true. That's what they're trying to do. But we... We're losing touch with the nature and sense of what our nation is. Now, when we say this nation is a nation of immigrants, and then we immediately go, yeah, but what about those on the border? Exclude that when I say that, because that's the cancer that they're using to try to destroy the very essence of what made us great. What's made us great in this controlled nature is people still to this day seek us out. And you have to scratch your head. You have to go, okay, we are more screwed up than any time in history, and people are still coming here. I watched a ceremony the other day, fantastic ceremony of people being sworn into the United States. And, and it, was, it was truly heartwarming. And guess what? There was half of them weren't Christian. But you talk about being proud of being American and talking about the opportunities and what it means to them to be able to vote and what it means to them to be able to pursue their own freedom. And I'm like, you know, what a great reminder of what our founding fathers created. An architecture of Christian faith that was forgiving and accepting to love thy neighbor, to allow all of those to come, to respect the law and framework within the nation. Now, that part is where everything gets screwed up because we don't enforce anything anymore. But that's where we are such an amazing country. And it is it's such an amazing place that when we start to embrace the true Christian nature of our country, nothing can harm us because we become mightier than anybody can imagine. And that is at the core of why they hate us so much, they meaning those in power. Because they know what it means. That means the minute that we suddenly say and we restore this nation as a republic, not as a democracy, but as a representative republic. And by the way, just so I say it, the nature of this country was originally set up so that states could have different atmospheres, meaning that in the country, if one state, within reason, but if one state wanted to have one set of rules and wasn't quite the same as another state, that idea was part of what made this model work so well so that people could find a place within the country and still be held under the umbrella of a Christian architecture of moral law. It's absolutely brilliant, but there's one thing missing in the modern day, and that is personal accountability. There's a video that was out today, and, and I think this is awesome. I think it speaks to exactly what we're talking about. This is at a 7-Eleven, and I, I want to say it's in California, but I can't say that for specifically. It could be, I th Actually, I think it might be New York, but either way. It's at a 7-Eleven. Wherever it is, it's in one of these liberal turtles where the liberals have completely screwed up everything law enforcement-wise. And this black guy who is obviously just a leech, and that means no offense to black people, but it just means that he was a black guy that was a leech. It's part of this whole generation of people that think they're so entitled. goes into, forces his way behind the counter and just starts ravaging all the cigarettes. Now, this is what's cool, is what follows 
is one Sikh and one Indian guy who's not Sikh. And I say that because one's wearing the Sikh turban and one's not. The Sikh tackles him. And you've got this other guy going, wait till the cops get here. Wait till the cops get here. And they're like, "Mm mm-mm, this is our store. And the Sikh tackles the guy and gets him down on his knee. And the Indian guy picks up this broomstick about an inch and a half around and just beats the snot out of this guy. And I don't mean beat him all over the body. He And this is... Like beats him on the legs and beats his butt literally until the guy is screaming so hard he can't even move. Congratulations. They kept him alive. The guy will never forget that beating. Why do I bring that example up? Because it wasn't a bunch of white Christian guys doing it. It was some people that were obviously still remembered why they came here. This was their store. This was their livelihood. This was their promise, their dream, that one person was trying to destroy, that the laws in the city were telling them that they, it had, they had to let it happen, and they said no. My interpreter, who is Muslim, saved my life at least three different times, and one time in a huge way. He's here, a proud American, raising his children. And I asked him one day, I said, are you going to the mosque? He said, nope. He says, I want my children to be raised as American. They can choose where they go in their future. That's incredible. See, the power of our culture, and this is actually what most people don't know, is the joint special operations mentality in Afghanistan, not the regular army nightmare, was to use the power of our culture, of the magnitude of acceptance, because it was recognized that the magnitude of acceptance within our culture was itself so powerful that over two or three generations, people lost connection with their with the fixation or ideological structure of their roots and instead became more increasingly American and ultimately, to a large degree, Christian. Why would that happen? Because that's loving thy neighbor. And our founding fathers knew this. That's what I'm getting at and on this whole thing. And so in our looking at the Constitution and our looking at the Declaration of Independence, it is so important that we appreciate a bigger vision of what our founding fathers were saying. This isn't just some legal document that you read through and you're like, oh, this is so monotonous and boring. Every word in here counts. Every concept in here was debated. Every word was debated. And the intent was to create, truly, a new Jerusalem where people would all want to come. And there would be a selection process. That means not everybody could come. There would be quotas. But people would come. They would seek to come. And the architectural structure, the governing structure, was that of a Christian God, our one God, the true God, and Jesus as our king, and that we were submitting ourselves to him, and that there was ultimately with that, there was a remnant of people, which today would be us, that saw to the fact that that framework was abided to and abided by. Benjamin Franklin's famous quote, you have a republic, good luck keeping it, because he knew the nature of people would get lazy You realize the most powerful part of all of our early eras was the church. 
The reason that we have a Declaration of Independence, the reason that we have a Constitution, the reason that we even had the fight of a, of a Revolutionary War was because of our mighty pulpits. The Black Robe Regiment, they were pastors. They were feared by England. They were targeted by England because they understood what it meant when pastors could lead an entire flock. They had already had the histories of crusades. They understood the power of faith and war. And they understood the difference between religion and war. We weren't fighting a religious war against England. We were fighting a war of principles of liberty, which were given to us by God, which is the structure of true faith in Jesus. So as we talk through our founding documents, I'm really encouraging you to pursue this in such a deeper way. Be inspired to read these regularly. Where you don't understand something, reach it, research it and understand what they were trying to get at. Understand the workings and nuances of our government. Understand the time. Federalist Papers is a great example. Someone asked me last night in chat, am I going to do the Federalist Papers again? I don't know. Maybe. We'll see about that. We might. But it's a, it's a long, it's 84 days. And we'll see. We might. Because it would be basically one paper a show and we'd have to do it at night. And I don't like to directly commit to that specifically because there's a lot of other things that come up that we want to talk about. But nonetheless, I encourage you at the very least to pursue the Federalist Papers. Understand the arguments that went into building a federal government. Understand the origins of our Constitution. Get into the deeper meaning of the Declaration of Independence. And one of those ways to get there is is through Jaron Jackson's programs. So make sure you're going to Clout Hub on Sunday, by the way, because we're having this with a special with Jaron Jackson on Clout Hub at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. And it will be recorded and we'll put it up on Vimeo so people can see it later as well if you can't make it. But I, I'm really, as I go through and understand the issues of common law, as I look more through a biblical lens of what our founding fathers did, it is unbelievable what they accomplished. And we have such an important mantle to carry as we move forward here to go back and understand that and to try to re- recreate that. And that's why I, I push back so hard on things like democracy and why I, why I push back so hard on people thinking that, well, we can just fix this with a vote. This system isn't even close to what our founding fathers intended. We're living under a corporate tyranny, approaching a technocracy. You're not going to fix that with a vote. This thing needs a complete reset. And that means we go back prior to 1871, and we look at everything going from that point forward to throw out every single law, every single legislation that's in violation of our Constitution. And we go about everything through a lens that we are living under a biblical lens. Church and state are separate. That doesn't mean the churches don't talk about politics. It means the churches exactly talk about politics, among other things, to keep the government accountable, not to shy away and to try to talk about just, you know, 
be obedient, be loving, love all, never say anything, sit in your pew, come back next Sunday, throw in a couple dollars more on the offering plate. Thank you. Uh, and if you do anything wrong, you're going to hell because you're a sinner. I mean, or accept Jesus. And then if you, even if you accept Jesus and you sin again, then obviously you're going to be punished because you didn't abide by what you told God. That is so much nonsense. That is not the walk in Scripture. I mean, we are trying to bring the living Christ back into the world through our heart, the true essence of a powerful living church within us. And forgiveness is at the center of that, a loving and forgiving heart, which is the pinnacle of what America was supposed to be. Think about that. Tell me one country you've ever heard of that had as its center a Christian value that said love and forgive. And with that, that is what makes us such a great nation. And when we start to strive for that, everything else, everything else doesn't matter. All this nonsense about politics and this and that, you're like, whatever. See my hand, speak to the hand, because right now I'm moving forward here with this vision of literally reestablishing a nation as our founding fathers intended. Meet, meet them where they are. Love thy neighbor. And here's the great thing. When we love our neighbors and they love us back, we gain something. We gain an understanding that together we have an obligation to defend and protect each other from tyranny. If you were to interview, and I'll, I can just tell you, Special Forces guys, myself, I, was, I did a lot of what's called singleton operations, so I was not on a team, I just myself and my interpreter. But there's so many people that have had interpreters like me or had interpreters on a small team, like Special Forces teams. And I'm saying this because this is literally opposing worlds. This is Christians with a Muslim interpreter. And I can't tell you how many stories are out there of those interpreters in one way or another, saving guys directly. And by the dialogues that we hear today and the seeded hatred for Islam, that doesn't make any sense, does it? But it was never about religion. In those moments, it was about humanity and understanding that there was a common evil and there was common evil. Those people were bad. Some of these people were really bad. And when you fought with that principle, everything else went aside. And you found a deep love in your heart as a fellow human to a fellow human. And obviously, over time, I would want to advocate to have somebody at least read and understand about Jesus Christ to let that opportunity open in their heart, but it is their choice. And the problem when we start taking on these politics of war against a certain faith, which is effectively what we did, waging war against Islam, waging war against, quote, the Taliban, ISIS, the evils of the Middle East, the terrorists, at the end of the day, it's interesting that every single one of those profiles ends up being Muslim. And then as we attack them and they get more aggressive back to us, we say, look, Look at that. There, there's more terrorists like them. I want you to think about something for a minute as we kind of wrap up tonight. I want you to think about a concept of desperation. 
How desperate does a culture have to be? I don't care who you are to accept that part of life to survive is to allow one of your sons or daughters to strap on a vest and go blow up Americans. Let that settle for a minute. How desperate do you have to be? Do, you, do we want to dehumanize, which we do great. We're like, oh, these people are evil. They have no value for their kids. I don't care who you are. If you've birthed a child, we may not have the exact same relationship in what we call love. But if you birthed a child, that child is still yours. So I'm not excusing away evil. I'm not defending the actions of those that have blown themselves up to hurt our, our boys and our, our women. I'm not doing any of that. But I want you to think about the fact that there's a completely different lens going on in the world as a result of a really corrupt and horrific regime that has been occupying us for a long time that is ultimately, by definition, in this modern day, the Fourth Reich. And when you let that settle in and realize that when we go back to the origins of this nation, our founding fathers intended for us to be a Christian nation of love thy neighbor principle, you realize how far we have drifted away, how magnificent our founding documents are, how incredible it is to be a country that truly is aligned when we put it all together with the Bible, with God's word, down to the individual and empowered to a common law, and how great a country this could be in welcoming those that want to come, in meeting people where they are, and coexisting with one another even if our faiths aren't the same. That was the vision. And that's what I fight for to get back to. And as far as I know, there's not a single candidate, there's not a single party, there's not a single political operation that we can support that will get me close to that. The only way we do that is put our eyes on Jesus Love thy neighbor, forgive, and walk every breath and every day with God. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for this evening and just thank you for all that you give and the greatness of all that you've provided for us in an incredible world that is just by perfection and by design, if we would simply put our eyes to you. Father, I begin this show tonight by just asking and just saying that I was going to take it where the Holy Spirit led and from my own personal place, thank you. Because this is a very important story that you're leading us to see an important revelation of understanding the true sense of what this nation needs to be. We are in a place right now as a nation where we have to heal and start getting past our divisions, our hatred, our divides. We're in a place right now where we're in a world that has witnessed and suffered through the horrors of a military and a might used not to, not typically to defend, but, in, but more often 
to destroy. So, Father, for all those that will join tonight, we humble ourselves before you and we seek repentance for this nation. And we seek mercy for this nation. And we seek mercy in a, in a broader way that we pray truly that people will begin to wake up and accept responsibility for where we are, but in so doing and realizing how far away we've moved from our foundations of this nation to start coming together to resurrect a vision of a republic that was intended to be a place where we could meet people where they are, a place built on love thy neighbor and and truly a place built on the values of love and the teachings of Jesus. And we know that this is going to run adrift with many who rejected you, who rejected religion, who seek to have their own dark religion. And unfortunately, we even have those that are in the, the throes of Satanism that are trying to leverage the right for, for freedom of religion to extol and to use that evil despicable value structure to try to divide and conquer people and bring them into Satan's lair. Our greatest defense against that is not to stop that or forbid it, but rather to expand the reach of the word and gospel of Jesus Christ and to let people truly encounter the true power and glory of the God of miracles through us, Father. And as we do that, the, those teachings of Satan just disappear. And so we pray and, and ask this evening for a continued blessing to flow over Bard's nation, to empower the Holy Spirit in such a magnificent way that we begin to become the vessels by which you use to bring about the miracles of the living God. Thank you, Father. Bless us and guide us. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, it's uh, pretty interesting when you think about it, how God works. The ability to conquer with love, ability to conquer with the miracles of healing, the ability to conquer with the ability to deliver people, the ability to conquer with the power to raise the dead and to do greater works than he but above all, the ability to conquer by spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I've said several times here now recently, it isn't just the words we speak, it's the walk that we make within him. And as we walk that place within him and let that be part and one with who we are, the living example of what we demonstrate in the world is one of the greatest testimonies to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you tomorrow for bended knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something.